Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to this week's episode of Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast presented by my good friends over at Scentlock. Guys, Blocker Outdoors, which is another company owned by Nexus, kind of more of the Western uh, big game hunting line from Nexus. They just released one of my favorite products to ever be released, which is the new Verse Pant. Guys, you have to check it out. It's going to be a phenomenal everyday pant, but it's also going to be phenomenal for any anybody who goes outdoors, whether you're checking cameras, whether you're hanging sets, or whether you're headed in the mountains to chase elk. Check out the Verse Pant because you are going to want to get you a couple pairs for this fall. Guys, this week I am joined by Dylan Dowson, who is the Western Big Game Marketing Director at Onyx, Onyx Maps, Onyx Hunt. Whatever you know them as, you definitely know Onyx. But guys, me and Dylan, we talk about our shared love for bear hunting, our shared addiction for bear hunting. We also give you some ideas and tips and tricks on how to field judge bears. It can be one of the most difficult big game animals to field judge. So we help you kind of better understand how to field judge bears and get ready for if you have a fall bear tag in your pocket. But the meat of this episode, we talk about preseason scouting and last minute scouting using our maps and how we're going to how we're going to utilize those maps for our last minute scouting. Guys, we also talk about just early season preseason prep and kind of pushing your limits, making yourself get out of what is comfortable and becoming more comfortable being uncomfortable. Um so many times in hunting we're we're put in situations that are uncomfortable. So me and Dylan just talk about, you know, getting out of our comfort zone whether it's how we're shooting, what we're wearing or um, pushing ourselves physically before and after we shoot, just kind of uh, pushing ourselves out of what's comfortable so that when we get in those hunting situations and things get a little uncomfortable, it's not a shell shot. Guys, whether you're on your way to elk camp, whether you're getting ready for an early season whitetail hunt, I hope that you'll find some some inspiration, some tips and tricks to the, in this episode on how to get ready for this upcoming season. But nonetheless, I hope that you enjoy it. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. Guys, I'm an arrow junkie. I love arrows. And I have found a fondness for deer crossing archery. Everybody makes a good arrow. I'm not saying that anybody out there makes a bad arrow. But what really sets deer crossing archery apart is when I call them, I'm going to get, A, the owner on the phone. I'm going to get the guy that's building my arrows on the phone. And they're going to walk me through a complete custom build. They're not shipping me a box of arrows that they ship out to everybody. I'm going to pick my knot colors, my fletching colors, my wrap colors, the fletching configuration I want on the arrows. Not only that, I'm going to walk him through my setup. I'm going to walk him through what I'm looking to get out of the setup. 
I'm going to tell them total arrow length I want to be hitting, total arrow weight I want to be hitting, total uh, insert, outsert weight I want to be hitting, FOC. And he's going to custom build a set of arrows and send them to me. My arrows aren't going to be best for you. Your arrows aren't going to be best for me. We need custom arrows. Deer Crossing Archery builds those arrows custom for you, and they always perform. Their silencer shaft is my favorite arrow on planet Earth. I've shot 40-plus animals with that arrow. It always performs. It always blows through the animal. I always get great penetration. It's a micro-diameter shaft. They do have a full line of shafts. Uh, the new Rupture Arrow is a phenomenal arrow. I shot a deer with it this year in Missouri. I love their arrows. Guys, I would highly encourage you to check out Deer Crossing Archery because you don't have to go to a box store and buy a set of arrows that are just made from the factory. You can get arrows custom made for you that are going to work best for you and your setup. Guys, use code HUNTING101 to get a discount at Deer Crossing Archery. I would highly encourage you to check them out. They are phenomenal. All right, Dylan. So where are you at in the world right now? So I'm currently sitting in my home office in western Montana, just uh, just outside of Missoula. Very cool, man. Very cool. Montana is one of the, well, not one. It, it's my favorite place I've ever been. I mean, it's just absolutely gorgeous, dude. Keep it a secret. Like, I, I just, I never went anywhere in Montana where I was like, oh, this isn't that pretty. You know, it's just like, holy crap. Yeah. No, I, so I've been fortunate. I was born and raised in Montana. So I've, Montana is the only state I've ever lived in. Um, now I did grow up in Eastern Montana, about 20 miles from the North Dakota border. And then now I'm on pretty much the far West end of Montana. So I have moved across the state. So it's about a eight to nine hour drive, quote unquote, home where I'm from. But, um, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. It's surreal, and uh, once in a while, I have to remind myself how how blessed we are to live here for just how many tags you can get and how long the seasons are, and so on and so forth. And I don't really realize it until I start talking to other folks, and it's like you know, sometimes that's not the norm. Until you come to Kansas, and you're like, God, this place sucks, dude. Like, what is there here? <laughs> <laughs> No, I yeah, I've been uh, in Kansas a couple like, couple of times. People like come from Colorado and they're like, "Dude, this is crazy cool out here, man." I'm like, "Why?" And they're like, "You can see forever. We've never this. It's not like this at home." You know, sometimes you take for granted like there is something special about where I live. You know, like the fact that it is so flat, like that's what makes Kansas special. And people come from Montana and Idaho and they're like, "Holy cow, dude, this is so cool." You know, we don't get this where we're from. And and sometimes you got to remind yourself, like, it's special where I live, too. You know, I want to come to Montana to chase elk, but people from Montana want to come kill big whitetails in Kansas. Like, there's something special that every place has to offer. Yeah, no, certainly there there really is. And the more that I travel for, you know, some out-of-state hunts and just checking out new parts of the, the country, uh, the more I realize that. So it's you know, that statement you said is true. I'm from Eastern Montana again, and I couldn't wait to get to the mountains. And now that I'm in the mountains, I kind of miss that side of the state. So, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. There's a lot of diversity. Now, what all, uh, what all do you have planned this year? What all tags you got? Where are you hunting at? 
Yeah, so I've got, again, Montana, man, we, we have a lot of seasons. Uh, got a lot of tags, long seasons. Um, so mostly Montana stuff. Uh, Archery Elk will kick off first part of September and then rolls until like middle of October. And then we have a five-day period where you're in between seasons and then rifle will kick off right after that. So uh, long seasons here, but I've got Montana. Archery Elk is up first. Um, so I'm really excited to, to do that one. I mean, that's kind of one of my favorite ones every year. It's like archery elk and rifle mule deer are my two, uh, kind of really big ones. Um, so we got that. And then I think I'm going to end up over in Oregon for a blacktail hunt in November, uh, which will be cool. cool. Cause I've, I've hunted blacktail, but only up in, uh, Alaska. We did Kodiak Island a few years back, but, um, I've never been to the Oregon coast or the coast over there for blacktail. So I think I got that. And then, uh, in January, my dad and I are going to go do a, uh, an odd ad hunt in Texas, which will be really cool. Never hunted odd ad nice. or in you Texas. That so that'll be fun. You've never nope. done, you've never hunted. Nope. In never Texas, done period? Oh my gosh, dude. Nope. I can't wait to hear your feedback from that. Texas is like, <laughs> It it's really hard to say my favorite place to hunt because everywhere you go, it's like, man, crap, that was so cool. Because again, everywhere has something to offer. But Texas, dude, it's like if you want to hunt in a different country or feel like you're on a different planet, Texas will do that for you. Like it's just crazy, man. What all and maybe more so than anywhere else, like Texas has so much different terrain and different you know, you could be hunting in the desert. You could be hunting in the Davis mountains. You could be hunting, you know, in, in Eastern Texas and be like in the big country and woods. And I mean, it's just, Texas is really cool, man. I love hunting Texas. Yeah. Which is, no, that's cool. I'm, because I'm I just excited brought to go up, down there. I just brought up, you started talking about how many seasons you have and how many tags you have. And on your website, onxmaps.com I google best states to hunt in and you guys have an article on that not best states to hunt in I googled um, state with the most big game tags you guys have an article on that very topic which is cool and guys I just want to mention that's that's part of what I love about onyx is they're not just a mapping company they're a plethora of knowledge and and if you guys listen to this podcast at all those are my favorite companies the companies that give you information which is why I love Onyx. I Google this. They're the ones that pop up as the top answer. So, um, obviously, Alaska has the most big game tags. Best state for really big game. You know what shocks me on this one is Arkansas is best for black bears. I don't... You guys put that on there. That does That surprises me. Yeah, and I think all of that, you know, it's best is like a very relative term, right? Um so depending on who wrote right, the article sure. and what research they did and stuff, it's a very, you know, that's definitely not like a uh, a hard and definitive answer on that stuff. It's like more opinion based than than anything, and probably just trying to diversify across the country a little bit. But uh, yeah, no, honestly, I I haven't even read the the article that you're referring to there, so that's funny. Well, and and I had my suspicions, but in the article it says clay newcomb which 
he's made it famous. But I'll tell you what, I grew up about 10 minutes from Clay. And what what fascinates me, what blows my mind is I grew up right there in bear country. And I never one time bear hunted as a kid growing up. Never even crossed my mind, never considered it, never thought about it. Then I moved to Kansas and I start like I've developed this kind of bear hunting addiction. I love bear hunting. And now looking back, I'm like, wait a minute, I could have been doing this all along. We had bears. <laughs> like I didn't even know we had bears. But Clay really has kind of put that on the map and, and kind of made it famous for what it is. And that's, you know, a lot of bears are gonna be small, uh, but a lot of bears and good terrain to hunt them in. Um and so that's it's just fascinating that it was on your list. That kind of that kind of surprises me. Yeah, no, that's cool. I uh, we're also on the I board for, grew bunny, up not, for bunny rabbits. <laughs> um, I grew up not bear hunting either um, until I moved to Western Montana. So I've been over here on the west side of the state for a little over eight years now, um, and started bear hunting right away. Eastern part of Montana, no bears um, over here in the west, like lots of different bears, lots of opportunity. Like you said over there, they might not be the biggest bears out, out West. Um, but you're going to see quite a few bears and, and have some cool opportunities to hunt in the spring and the fall. So when I moved out West, um, in Montana here, I started hunting bears. So I'd say for the past eight years or so, I really, really enjoy hunting them in the spring, not much else going on. It's a really good excuse to get out and, uh, check out some cool country, see everything when it's greening up. It's like a really just beautiful time of the year to, to be out in the woods, um, and not much else going on. So yeah, it's for sure. Yeah, it's, it's cool. What, uh, where all have you bear hunted at? Uh, so Montana, pretty much, you know, most of the Western part of Montana. Um, I bear hunted Washington once and Oregon, um, I went with the folks over at born and raised, uh, and hunted bears over there with them. I didn't have a tag, but I was along for the camp and, um, got to help pack out a couple of bears. So that was super fun. Um, Idaho, I have shot an Idaho bear last year and I think that's pretty much it. So Montana, Idaho, Washington, Oregon. You know what? Like when you start looking into like killing a big bear. Like you think I'm going to go to Oregon or I'm going to go to Washington or Montana. The biggest bears are like North Carolina and Wisconsin and, you know, like states that kind of you wouldn't think about being big bear states. But Wisconsin, dude, they kill absolute giants every year. Um, I think Wisconsin has more Boone and Crockett black bears than anywhere else. And then North Carolina has like the, the – is as far as percentage wise of bears that are killed has the biggest. And it's just, you don't really think about those States. And that's why like North Carolina, PA, North, uh, Wisconsin, those States, man, kind of get just looked over when you're talking about bears. Yeah, no, they, they really do. And I mean, there's been, I've seen some really big bears in Montana, but they're very few and far between. I mean, to shoot, uh, it's yeah. also interesting how some areas like people look at bears and they're like, Oh, that's a 250 pound bear or a 300 pound bear. So they do it by weight. Um, I've always been accustomed to judging a bear by like the length. So like nose to tail, like, Oh, that's a six foot bear. That's a five and a half foot bear. It's just kind of what I 
I won't say grow up, grew up doing because again, I didn't hunt bears until eight years ago, but everybody in the area that I'm at, it's just kind of how we judge them. So I've, I've came to like understand, okay, that's a six foot bear, which is a really nice bear in Montana. Like if you're shooting a six foot bear, that's a, a very, very nice bear. Um, now I have seen a couple in that six and a half to even seven foot range, but that's like one in the past eight years, one or two in the past eight years and shoot, I don't know hundred, couple hundred bears, like, you know, and maybe a couple of them in that, that size range. So, um, yeah, they, they definitely do get big. There are some, some big ones around, but, uh, a lot of that five to five and a half, uh, style foot bear. Yeah, for sure. And people like people think big bears are way big, like for, for non bear hunters, people think big bears are way bigger than they are. Like people think a, a big bear is 800 pounds and you're like, no, dude, you're thinking way too big. Like a big bear is 400 pounds, you know? And, and they're like, no, yeah. dude. And, and like, I've got a bear on, I've got a bear on the wall and I'm like, well, how much do you think that bear weighs? And they're like, oh, at least 500 pounds. I'm like, there's a 200 pound bear. And they're like, no way. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, like they're not, they're not massive. I mean, most of the bears that you're going to see coming through there are as big as a black lab. And you're looking for a 200 pound bear, you know, and people are like, no way, dude. Like they just don't, they, they, we've, and I blame Disney, blame Disney for all negative hunting, but, um, they've just automatically associated bears with being like these massive, well, they think of a black bear as, as they would a brown bear or a polar bear, or, you know, a grizzly and a coastal brown bear. They think that's how big, you know, the brown bears that you're going to see in Oklahoma are. And you're like, no, dude, you're thinking way outside of the realm of possibilities here um yeah so that's a really good point i mean my best bear is like six foot one inch so just over six foot and i would say around that 215 220 pound and like that's a it's a nice bear especially for out west um the biggest one i've been with was for again, sure. we were in oregon and uh we killed one that they ended up weighing everything like you know all the meat and the hide and just everything and I think it ended up being like 325 or something of that nature. Um, and that was like an absolute, you know, giant bear. We walked up on it yeah. and it just was a next level animal for sure. So yeah, it's, it's funny. You talk to guys um, and just people who, you know, they'll shoot their first bear and then I'll be with them several times. Like they'll walk up and be like, Oh, like that's a lot smaller than I thought it was. They're a very tough animal to to judge in the field. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I remember like my first bear hunt, my wife was with me and, uh, we were at, in a camp with a bunch of hunters and, and a hunter shot a little bear. And I, I mean a little bear, 25 pounds. And my wife was just distraught. She's like, why would he do that? And I'm like, well, sweetheart, he didn't mean to. And she's like, you can't mean to shoot one that small. And I'm like, I promise you, like, it's impossible to tell. Now, now he said, I thought I was shooting a small bear but I did not think I was shooting a a cub. Like I didn't think it would have milk on its lips. And it's just, it's such a hard thing to tell. So uh, I didn't plan on this going this direction, but let's talk about field judging bears. What are you looking at in order to determine, you know, is this a bear I want to shoot or not? For me, like the more bears that I see, the more it's just like, you kind of have to just like see bears to know. And it's a tough thing to do because if you're not out there seeing bears every year, um, but like I've seen enough now over the past eight years that I have a pretty 
good understanding. Like I've certainly been fooled before and been like, Hey, I think that bears a five and a half foot bear, 125 pounds, that type of bear. And then, you know, somebody shoots it and we're like, okay, definitely overjudge that one a little bit or underjudged it. So like, I've still been fooled, but the best way to do it is to see bears. Like the more that you see, the more that you start to understand. But, um, for me, it's kind of a, it's a gut feeling again, because I've seen so many of them, but like how quickly do they move? Like a, a young bear, a small bear is going to be really quick, especially I've seen some bears climb trees and like a young bear will just shoot up that tree like a rocket. Um, and you immediately know like, okay, that's, that's a really small bear that big bears don't move that quick. Now they can for sure. But like, as a general rule of thumb, like a big bear is going to be a little bit more lethargic. And like, it seems like it takes a little bit of effort to, to move up the mountain or to, to side hill where like a small bear is just going to be running all over the place. Um, you know, obviously if you know, that's, that's one nice thing about baiting. We can't bait here in Montana. I've never baited, but obviously if you have a 55 gallon barrel and a bear comes in, you can use that as a size reference, but even like, uh, down logs, like across the Canyon or something, you can kind of understand a little bit like, okay, how big is that tree over there in relation to the bear standing next to it? Or, um, you know, whatever, if you're rifle hunting, you know, with today's rifle technology with the scopes and whether you're MOA or mills, like that's a whole nother conversation, but essentially you can use that as like a ruler. Like that's all it is, is it's a ruler in your rifle scope reticle. And so if it's like, you know, a six foot bear from nose to tail, like you can actually use that with the distance and, and start to gauge like how long that bear is, uh, with your rifle reticle and stuff. So there's some other tips and tricks, but like, just as a general rule, the more you see, the more, the easier it gets. Yeah. Well, one time, and and this echoes that, but one time, uh, Jim Shockey was talking about field judging bears and, he basically said, think about it like, like you as a person, like you're fat and out of shape now. Like as funny as that might be, you know, you're not like you were in high school. You're not lean and lean and, and, and limber and fast and quick. Like you were in high school, you're fat and old and lazy. Same thing. Like you just said, like if a bear's bouncing around the mountains, you're like, uh, is he big? No, he's probably small and young. That's why he's got so much energy. That's why he's so leaned out and fast and quick. And, it's those bears that almost just look, like you said, lethargic, fat and lazy, and just, you know, kind of walking through the woods. You're like, okay, maybe that's a big bear. But it also comes down a lot to just body size, man. Like, the big bears have a big blocky head and, you know, big old beefy front shoulders. And, you know, you can almost just, there's been deer coming in where I can't see the antlers for whatever reason. They're below a tree or whatever. Um, or, or you know, maybe it's too dark and I'm looking through binoculars, but you can just tell by the body posture. Like that's a big mature deer. It doesn't matter what the antlers say. That's a big old mature seven year old, six and a half year old deer just by his body posture. And the same is true with bears. But like you said, it takes looking at them. Like it just takes watching them and learning about them and learning from them. And so that's why I tell everybody, like when people ask me, Hey, I'm going on my first bear hunt. What I need to do to start, you know, figuring out how to judge these things, go to YouTube and search bear hunting and like, just watch as many of those as you can. Now, still, it's not the same as learning from watching in person, but 
you can learn a lot just by watching the way those animals walk in and how they act and you know big old fat lazy bears as opposed to small wiry energetic young thin bears you you'll learn it quicker than you think so just start watching as much as you can that way it's not like shell shock when you get there that's my tip for sure so before we move on, I want to make mention of this. Uh, for those of you who don't know, you're about to learn. When you buy a new bear bow, you get a free three-month Onyx subscription. All you've got to do is register that bow. Guys, registering your bow is something that not only is going to get you a free membership uh, to Onyx, but it's also going to ensure your bow gets repaired when it needs repaired, things of the sort. You're also going to get a free one-year membership to Pope and Young. All you've got to do is register that bow, and you're going to get an email with all these perks for discounted products, for free memberships to Onyx, for free memberships to Pope and Young. So even if you've bought a, a bow in the past, register that bow right now, and you'll still get all those benefits. Guys, make sure and do it. If you don't know, now you know it's worth it. Um, just the free membership alone is worth the 10 minutes it's going to take you to register your bow. If that, um, Dylan, right now we're in the heat and the heart of prepping for season. So Utah, uh, Western hunts and I'll talk whitetail hunts, but what are we, what are you doing right now? I mean, this is the month of nailing everything down and getting ready. Um, so other than all your honeydews and making your boss happy so you can leave for a month, what are you doing right now to prep for, for hunting season? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. And I think every year it's slightly different. Um, this year has been a little bit more busy, chaotic than years have passed. So we have two young kids. Um, we have one four month old right now. So this is uh, definitely like an adjustment in life and just trying to prioritize things and you're constantly busy, you know, with the newborn and things of that nature. So um, first and foremost, making sure like home life is good, family's good. Um, for prepping for season, which is coming up here real soon. Like, I think we've got three weeks until opener, maybe even less. Um, at this point, I am really just trying to build confidence. Like I know, I know my bows dialed. I know my broadheads are shooting good. I know my bows tuned. I know everything is like, everything's ready. I'm not making any major adjustments this late into season. I'm certainly not trying to, you know, try out a new new rest or anything like that all my all my archery equipment and everything is dialed um but i'm i'm getting those reps in shooting broadheads and shooting with a pack on and you know shooting in hunting situations and not just like at a dot 30 40 50 60 yards from me with level ground i mean i was just shooting last night above my house and i set up some 3d targets and even just uh shooting on those side hills man um you know, what, what you think is level. And then you take a peek at your level before you execute a shot. And it's like, you weren't even close. So getting familiar with that and getting comfortable being uncomfortable in those shooting situations, I think far too often, um, people just shoot at a range and you can only shoot with what you got. So I totally understand that, but they'll only shoot at like a flat range with known yardages, you know, 20 through 70 or whatever you know, 10 yard increments, not shooting those pin gap ones or whatever. And then you get into a field and all of a sudden you draw on an elk or whatever game you're hunting and you're on a side hill and your bubble is mashed to one side. And maybe it's like one of those pin gap yardages or something. And 
So just really trying to hone in and get comfortable and, and have those reps. So if you do kind of lose it in that, that moment of truth, like muscle memory is there to, to take over. Dude, what you just said is 100% gold. Like I shoot dots on a target one time and that's when I'm sighting in my bow. And then outside of that, I'm never shooting a dot on a target again. Like, so every year, once a year, I shoot dots and that's to sight the bow in. After that, Throw that bag target in the shed. You don't need it anymore. It does not offer you real life practice. And that's why so many dudes, if you're listening right now, you know exactly who I'm talking about because one of my buddies is struggling with this. That's why so many dudes can shoot the lights out of the out of the place. I almost said out of the gym, but we're not playing basketball. They can shoot the lights out. Then they go hunting and they freak out and can't shoot the animal because you can't pick a spot. You can't force yourself to aim at one hair on the deer and shoot the deer or the elk or the bear or whatever. You're used to shooting a dot. And that now, now that's separate from big buck fever. Like I get that. I get shaking in your boots and getting nervous. However, part of it boils down to you just shoot brown. You don't pick a spot and 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 shoot at that spot. And so I actually and and bear has a very good relationship with total archery challenge so i'm not telling people not to go to total archery challenge actually the opposite go to total archery challenge but don't let that be the only time of the year that you push yourself out of your your comfortable shooting like so many people go to tack and they're like oh dude i'm such a better shooter now then they go right back home put their bag target at 40 and start shooting their bag target again total archery challenge cannot be the only time that you push your limits Total archery challenge cannot be the only time you shoot 74 yards up a hill through the through the trees. It can't be the only time. Now, I understand that not everybody lives where Dylan lives and they can go up and shoot, you know, a 40 degree side hill with trees and all that stuff. I understand that. But guys, I live in the middle of town in flat Kansas. I've got nine 3D targets out, but I don't just put them out at 30 yards and start shooting the 3D target. I listen. It's illegal, and if I ever get seen, I'll probably get in trouble. I'll climb up on the roof of my house, put a 3D target over the privacy fence through a couple trees. That way I have to get it over the fence but under the limb and shoot it at 47 yards and make it, an, an like you said, a pin gap number. Force yourself to be uncomfortable when you're shooting because the, the elk is not going to come in at 20 yards and stand broadside and wait for you to range find it and shoot it. It's not going to happen ever. Um, now, if you're like we, you talked about baiting bears. If you're shooting bears over a barrel at 20 yards, that's good. If you're shooting deer over a corn pile at 20 yards, that's good. However, how many times has a deer hung up outside of the corn pile at 24 yards? And you're like, well, I've never shot a pin gap before. I don't know how to do that. You have to make yourself uncomfortable. And I, I, I just, so I love what you just said, dude. Yeah, no, and I, I think a lot of it is building confidence too, because like I I know that I know how to do those things, but I want to be confident when the time comes. So I remember several years ago, man, I was I was archery elk hunting and I had a one of those like thin neck gaiters and I pulled it up over my face because I was like, I don't want to be seen, you know, whatever. I remember I drew on a bull and I had never shot with a 
like a, the face mask on. Essentially, it's, it was just a face mask at that point. I never shot with one of those. And I remember I went to anchor and my knuckle went behind my ear and it felt so, so weird. And it was solely because I had never mm-hmm. shot with one. Now, since then, I just choose to like, yeah, I'm not going to get seen. So I'm not like, I'm not that worried about it unless I'm being flat out dumb. I'm not going to get seen. Like my face isn't going to get seen. Um, so I don't use them anymore for that sole reason. I hate shooting with them. But if that was a concern of mine, then I would go home. I would have gone home and learned how to shoot with that comfortably. Cause I remember like as little as that would sound, just that, that thing covering my ear, you know, I had hundreds and hundreds of reps of just burying that knuckle right behind my earlobe. And now all of a sudden it feels weird. And my whole, like from there, it's just like a snowball effect. Like that's a very small thing that you should be able to overcome, but then you're constantly thinking about it. You're not, you're not like in tune with your shot process and everything just like kind of falls apart from there. So, you know, that's just one example, um, shooting with a backpack on, you know, I shot a few reps last night with a backpack on. I typically try and take it off if I can. Like if I'm calling a bull in, I just am used to taking it off. Um, but there's certainly times where, you know, you might be meet a, an elk on a trail or something, or one comes running in and your backpack's on. So what are you going to do? Not, not shoot that elk. Like, of course you are. So just having having those reps of okay, shooting with my pack on, shooting with it off, shooting it five yards with my pin set at 30. Like, what does that look like? You know, it seems so like, oh, it's five yards. It wouldn't matter. But if you're if your pin is set at 30 and you're shooting at five yards, which has happened to me before, like a five yard elk shot, um, you know, what does that look like? Where do you hold? How how finite do you have to be with it? Or can you get it in the wheelhouse and let it rip? So like just those things that might seem like common sense, but unless you do it and you know what to expect in that situation, you might freak out when that opportunity presents. Yeah, for sure, dude. Um, I had a guy one time and I'm not going to name any names, but I heard the story one time, this professional hunter, professional deer hunter was on an elk hunt. And uh, the guide said, you've practiced shooting with your, pack on right and he said dude it's it's that doesn't affect anything here that's no different and he's like okay we're gonna shoot with your pack on before we go out and he's like whatever and like just you know kind of fed up with it almost he shoots the first shot and the the buckle that goes across your chest caught on his string derailed his bow and blew it up and the guide is a good friend of mine. He's a nice guy. So he didn't like, but he was like, now aren't we super glad that didn't happen with a giant bull out in front of you? Like, and and it's those types of things you never, or a binocular harness or gloves. Yep. Like I've been there, you know, you put gloves on cause it gets freezing cold and then you go to anchor and you're like, Oh no, I can't feel my thumb, you know, whatever. Um, you have to practice all of those types of things. And it sounds silly and you look dumb. Like you look stupid out in your backyard, full camoed out, and your neighbor's like, What are you doing? And you're like, Don't worry about <laughs> it, you know? But you look dumb, but you have to push those limits of what's comfortable. That way when you're in the woods, the uncomfortable is comfortable. And and you know, I mean it's it's everything. I we're not even talking about out west. In a tree stand, so many guys never practice shooting out of a tree stand 
all year long, you practice at 30 yards on the ground, getting reps in. You never climb a tree and shoot out of the tree stand. And it's it's completely different to shoot out of a tree stand, especially if you get a 20-foot high, 25-foot high tree stand. It's completely different. And so many guys never practice that, or they never practice. What happens if I'm sitting here facing this way, the trail I think the deer are going to come on, and they come on this trail, and I got to turn around the tree to shoot this deer? They never think about those things. So, guys, like, if there's one thing I can tell you for the next month and a half, season opens here in like 28 days here in Kansas. You've got 28 days. Start practicing the dumbest stuff you can think of. Shoot from your knees. Shoot out of a blind. Shoot with your back against a tree and you have to turn around and shoot, you know, around the tree. Shoot all shoot out of a tree stand. If you're hunting out of a tree stand, shoot out of a stinky tree stand. I my wife wanted a deck built and I said, that's fine. As long as you'll let me have a shooting platform on that deck so I can climb up it and shoot off of it. Like I'm from a tree stand. She's like, cool. So I shoot from a tree stand every day, uh, essentially a tree stand height, but guys, you have to practice the uncomfortable or, or when a deer steps out, man, it's going to suck. Like did I missed a deer last year because I, I had practiced with my recurve all year long. Like I was more confident with this thing than I've ever been. And I go on a hunt and the guy's like, I'm going to put you in a ground blind. And I'm like, crap, I didn't practice that, but let's do it. And so like, I'm going to shoot and like, I'm worried about my limb tip hitting the top of the blind. And so like, I'm, it was just super uncomfortable and I ended up blowing a, a shot at a nice deer. So absolutely phenomenal tip, man. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And yeah, just the weird stuff. Like you said, you, you probably do look and sound weird. Um, sound a little silly doing it. Like even, <laughs> you know, have a, have a diaphragm in your mouth. If you're going to like constantly, cause I, I elk yep. solo a lot. And so I've had to stop bulls before and, you know, you can whistle or make like a, a small sound with your mouth, but if you have a diaphragm in your mouth, like shoot with one, it, it, probably won't affect much but who knows you might draw and, and try and make a, a ca- cow sound to stop a bull and like you know just mentally you've never done it before so it's easy but you just got to do it so that i mean as far as the shooting side of things like i would say that just uh practicing real life scenario stuff just the the strange four yard shots and through the trees at 10 yards whatever so all that stuff and then really the the rest is just uh I don't know, trying to trying to get as in shape as possible last minute, which is never a good thing, but I will personally always prioritize <laughs> shooting my bow and like getting really confident with my my gear, whether it be archery or rifle or or anything of that nature. Um I personally think that tends to like being physically in shape is is absolutely important, especially if you're in the mountains over here. Like it's it's going to come up where you know, you have to get up there before those elk to, to get a shot opportunity or something. Um, so it is really important, but at the end of the day, if you can't execute a shot and make it count, like it doesn't really matter. So I, I tend to prioritize my shooting first. Um, and then some of that stuff kind of falls as a secondary. It's still very important, but just not quite as important as making sure my bow is tuned and I'm confident and comfortable with all that stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's coming up soon, man. It's, it's crazy. Like I said, I think three weeks and it's go time. So I also need to start packing and finding all my camo and 
all that good stuff because I'm not very organized. That's another thing. What are you doing? And you mentioned, which again is a great tip. Like my bow is set up, it's shooting good. I'm not touching it. But like as far as prepping your gear, um, you know, is there anything for the Western hunter that they that you're gonna do? You know, these three weeks leading up to to make sure that your gear is ready to perform on the mountain every time. Yeah, I mean, there are certain things like I'll probably I'll oil my boots. Um, I'm guessing I didn't do it after last season, so they're probably leather what boots, boots are probably getting a little dry. Um, so I've got a, a few different ones, but I really like the Schnees. Oh, I should. <laughs> I know the name of it, but it's not going to come to me. That's for that's sure. Fine. Um, I just had full, I just had to make sure boot. that being a being a Montana boy, you're shooting. You're you're wearing schnees. That's how I made sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so I also have some Kenetrex, which is also another Montana company uh, like them. And so, yeah, just making sure those are are good to go. Um, you know, I'll wash all my camo, but I don't really get bent out of shape about like scent free stuff. Like I'll, I wash it in scent free detergent just because like you might as well. But as far as like scent Why control, man, scent? I yeah. don't. Yeah, I don't go crazy with it. Like I'm not out there trying to to get my camo and my pack and everything like smelling like something it shouldn't in the woods. But also, I'm kind of under the assumption like if you're going to get winded, you're going to get winded and that stuff helps. Like it's not going to hurt. And that's why I do utilize it. But, um, I don't know. I, I think especially out West people can focus too much on, on that. Like if you get the wind, right, you're in good shape. If you don't have the wind, right, you're, you're going to get smelled. And I don't know if there's any product out there as far as like a, a scent cover, that's going to eliminate that. It might buy you a few more seconds or might buy you some time or whatever. It's again, it's not going to hurt, but, um, so I'll wash my clothes, nothing too crazy there and really just organize. So I know what is where, cause like, you know, what I take for my first archery elk hunt early September is not going to be what I'm going to need at the end of archery season in October and then rifle season and stuff like things change with the weather and like what pair of boots am I taking? So like just knowing that all that stuff is ready to go and, and where it is, um, we'll save a ton of time when, when you're in between hunts and trying to pack for the next one. Yeah. Scent control is something that Western guys don't understand and whitetail guys way over prioritize when they try to go on a Western hunt. What I, so what I mean by that is whitetail guys overthink their scent when they're in the woods. I mean, I remember my first couple like Western hunts, I was still trying to, you know, dead down wind everything. And, and I'm like, wait a second, I've been out here for nine days and I haven't showered. There's no way I'm covering anything up. Like, so you just have to learn, like when you head out West, scent is out the window. But I do think Western guys think tree stand guys are a little, you know, over the top. Whereas like, if I'm on a whitetail hunt, dude, I don't put fuel in the truck until, you know, the night before that way when i'm in my camo i'm not fueling up the truck i mean i don't eat on the way to the tree stand i don't drink coffee on the way to the tree stand because i don't want to get sent on my body and like you said for all the people out there who are going to immediately email me and say you can't cover your scent there's always human scent you're you're right however it can give me a few more seconds like and sometimes that's all i need you know there's been times where a, a deer comes downwind and i'm like crap 
but I have that five seconds to squeeze off, squeeze off a shot before he blessed me. Um, and so, you know, I understand. Yeah, I can't cover my scent, but I, I, I can mask it enough to give me that, that few extra seconds I need. Um, or to confuse them enough to where, it, you know, it's not, they immediately blow and stomp and, and, and alert the entire woods. They might trot off and say, there's something I don't like here, but I didn't, I didn't set an alarm off in their head that they need to warn everything else in the woods that they're going to die if they come here. So absolutely right now I am, I'm focusing on scent. I'm covering my boots. I'm getting my clothes out and putting them in the ozone closet. I'm doing all of the typical like white tail, you know, white tail scent cover stuff that everybody's always doing. But you mentioned something about your broadheads, and that's something that I don't think people leading up to season prioritize enough. Like I sharpen my broadheads for a month leading up to season. When I get them out of the quiver, going to the woods, I want them. I, I don't want there to be any question in my mind that they are razor sharp. So here's what I do, just so everybody knows, because I, I do talk about shooting with your broadheads, just like you talked about. Shooting with your broadheads, pretty much when it turns August, I'm only shooting broadheads. Shoot broadheads that are the same as the ones you're going to be having in your quiver, but don't shoot the ones that are going to be in your quiver. I don't want to be slinging into foam that the or rocks or privacy fences if I miss. I don't want to be slinging into to, to the ground the arrows that I want to put into a deer in three weeks. So I'm shooting, you know, bare razor heads right now. I'm practicing with those. But I have different bare razor heads that are razor sharp in my quiver, ready to go for season. So sharpen your broadheads, shoot your broadheads, and make sure everything is ready to go. Um, absolutely. I am also, and you might speak to this a little bit too, but... Right now, I'm I'm looking at everything that I'm taking in the woods. Uh, you know, I'm looking at my bow. I'm looking at tree stands, climbing sticks, everything. How can I make this quieter? How can I make this setup quieter? So taking stealth tape and putting it around, you know, the, the climbing sticks. That way, when they touch together, they don't make a metal noise. Or, you know, on the, the shelf of my bow, putting stealth tape. That way, when you put an arrow in, it doesn't clink against the shelf of your bow. All of those types of things. I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, how how can I make this quieter? So, you know, everything. I mean, I dude, I have I have tried to make my leather boots quieter before. I mean, make everything <laughs> quieter, make everything stealthier. Um, do you do any kind of that that type of stuff? Any tips you've ever found uh, to make something quieter for the for the mountains? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly do. A lot of that is like when I set up my bow, I make sure that it's, like you said, I've got some felt or something on the shelf. So if my arrow does happen to rattle, uh, you know, I, I've experimented with different things with rests because certain rests have been kind of noisy when I draw before. So I've experimented with things with that. Um, all that stuff is pretty much on the, on the bow side of things is set up ahead of time. Um trying to think, you know, on the other stuff, like I don't have a lot of like metal on metal, like you do with climbing sticks and things of that nature. But if something is loud, I'm going to do anything I can to minimize that ahead of time. So like even last night, again, shooting with a pack, I realized like if I, if I just draw normally, like, you know, if I'm not trying to like slowly draw my bow, like if I just draw like normally I'm going to shoot, my pack makes kind of like a, 
not a screeching noise by any means. It's it's hard to describe, but like the the material of the pack shifting on my shoulders when I make that motion, you know, relatively quickly, like I heard that pretty loudly. So one of those things, it could be overthinking it, but like if there's an elk or deer or something under 30 yards and they're alert and it's really quiet, maybe you don't have wind to cover any sort of noise and I draw my bow really quickly and I have my pack on, like I know now that it's going to make a noise, like loud enough that last night I was like, hmm, I I didn't love how loud that was. Um, So just again, just putting those reps in with weird things. Now I know even if I, you know, I'm just drawing and executing a shot that say they're looking the other way. Now I know if I have my pack on, like I'm maybe going to slow into that uh, draw just a little bit more to, to eliminate that noise. So not necessarily like, um, again, wrapping felt or anything on equipment, just knowing what that equipment's going to do for certain situations like that. Uh, one thing that I get asked a lot, and since we're talking about since we're talking about making things quieter, I get asked a lot if deer hear my clicker on my recurve. Uh, so what a clicker is when I come to full draw, it clicks. And that's the trigger that I know I'm at 28 inches every time I draw my recurve. I get asked, do deer hear that clicker? So if you want to shoot a clicker in the woods, what I do is I take that entire clicker apart and I put duct tape around every piece of that clicker. It's going to help mute that sound. I've actually even a couple times I've di- I've I've undented the the dent in the clicker the the part that makes it click so much so that it, you almost just feel it in the string popping rather than hearing it. Um, but no, I mean I've shot deer at, at twelve yards with a clicker and and it does once you've muted the clicker if you shoot it straight out of the box yeah you're hundred percent gonna spook them. But once you've muted that enough with duct tape and and bending out the 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 dent a little bit more hundred percent. They won't, they won't hear it. So, um, I got like three emails on that this week after a picture of my bow. So no, they won't hear it. If you'll mute that clicker just a little bit. I'm shooting a new release this year, uh, a new release that has, so it's still, uh, it's a wrist wrist strap and it's like a normal just release, but, uh, like it has a click in it. So it's not like a, a tension or anything like that, but it's almost like a, the way I would describe it is almost like a two-stage trigger, if anybody's familiar with that with a rifle, where it's like you take up the slack, and then from there it's like, okay, now we're going. So like it's kind of the same thing with my release, where like you'll get to the click, and then you know, okay, here we go Like for the rest of your shot. So one of my things this year, and I, I've just never shot with one of those. I, I'm guessing it's similar to what you're describing with your recurve and a clicker. Yeah. Cause I have heard those, but, um, it's one of those things when I'm just playing with it here, it's not loud at all, but when it's on that string and I do it, like it just amplifies the sound for some reason. So I'm slightly nervous about that. I have talked to several people who have shot this release and they're like, man, nothing, nothing's ever spooked. But I think it really just depends. Again, is there wind? Is there grass moving? Is there any type of, you know, sound that's going to cover that or is it like for sure dead calm because if it's dead calm and there's you know a mule deer or an antelope or an elk at you know again i don't think past 30 yards it's going to be an issue but if there's something standing at 14 yards and i hear you know get to that click like is that gonna cause that animal to to look or to blow up or anything of that nature so 
Uh, that's one thing that I don't think I'll know until I'm out in the field. But I, I've heard it's not an issue, but it's kind of in the back of my mind. What release is that, if you don't mind me asking? So it's a Scott. Um, actually, I have the package right, right in front of me here. It is a Scott Archery Verge. So it's a it's a wrist release, um, but it's got two fingers. So like instead of just wrapping one finger around it, yeah. it does have two, which is which is nice. Um, and yeah, I mean it's it's a really nice release. Um, Joel Turner with uh, Shot IQ kind of turned me onto it. I was shooting with him and just kind of going That's through his process and everything. I, yeah, yeah. And so I he's the one who, of him who turned me onto it with that release. And but he didn't say like it. I don't know if I missed it, but I saw him doing a video with that release, and I'm like, "That's really stinking cool." And uh, so when you said that, I'm like, "I wonder if it was the same release." And you know, so cool. I have to go check that out. Scott Verge, very cool. yeah, um, yeah. I uh, I like it. Now, what are you doing? What are you doing, scouting wise? Digital scouting wise, you know, how are you utilizing Onyx at this point? Not only boots on the ground scouting, but how are you utilizing Onyx to get ready for hunting? For sure. So boots on the ground scouting, I I haven't done any this year. Let's just put it that way. Again, it's you know, every year's different. Like that's good. Some years <laughs> when I have time, like I absolutely will. Um, you know, we have a four month old right now that hasn't been the the easiest of babies. Um, so it's kind of all hands on deck and, oh. and making sure things are good at home. And so like, you know, I just have, I haven't had a weekend to get away and go hike, hike the mountains. Um, that being said, it really just depends. Like if I have a new, if I'm hunting a new area, maybe I've got a new permit or something that I've never stepped foot in that area or that mountain range or that unit, I'm for sure going to prioritize boots on the ground scouting. I am hunting areas this year that i'm very familiar with um i'm going back to where i shot a bull last year i've hunted that area for three years like i mean i i just kind of know it but like the back of my hand now obviously there's always more to learn and to gather by being in that country um but i routinely go shed hunt it i try to to get there kind of all year round just to go check out some of those new areas so um, I'm not really bent out of shape about not being able to, to get there and scout because also, you know, I'd be scouting for cows, but I know generally like what the elk like to do there. I know opening day, um, or the first day I'm able to go hunt where I want to sit, like all that's kind of already been in the back of my mind. So I'm not too worried about, about boots on the ground that said, like, I'm constantly looking at maps, even in areas that I've hunted, um, one of the things now, not elk here, but mule deer focused. Uh, I remember a few years ago, one of the things that really kind of was like an aha moment to me was I've hunted a particular piece of property for mule deer for like 10, 12 years. Like one of those places you just feel like, you know, like there's a lot of acreage, giant different parts of the, the property. And like, you know, it's not like I'm hunting my back 40, so I'm always moving around, but just I know where to sit in glass. I know where I typically see bucks. Like, I know this country really well. So in my mind, I always was like, I don't really need to e-scout that because I know it. Like, I know where I'm going to go. I know where the road systems, whatever. Well, a few years, like 
two or three years ago, um, I think three, three years ago, I, I think out of like boredom or something, I was probably doing some, something for work and I needed to like walk through like an e-scouting process. Well, I ended up like e-scouting this same property that I've hunted for years and years. And one thing that I learned is like by e-scouting it, even if you know it, like I hunted that place so differently that, that year. And I shot my best buck in like a little hole on that property that I've never stepped foot in. Um, so one of the things that I personally did is I turned on the topo layer and I was trying to efficiently, like the most efficiently and effectively way, effective possible, like cover country on this area. So like I'll make five to eight mile hiking loops in this, but if you just aimlessly go up and down draws and whatever, like you're not, A, you're burning yourself out. You're not seeing things properly. So I flipped on the topo layer and what I would do is I would draw the ridge lines, all of the ridge lines out. So like that's, that was step one for me. If it was like a ridge line, I would just draw all of those out with one color. And then I went to another color and was like, okay, if I, if I hike down this ridge line, where would be good glassing points off either side? You know, not areas where I have to pick up and hike like two miles to a different glassing point, you know, go 50, a hundred yards, sit on the other side of the ridge and glass whole new country. So I started to kind of map those out. And then um, what I did is I started connecting those ridge systems. So I might hike all the way down one ridge system glass on like six different spots and then just bounce over to the other ridge and hike that back and glass all new country. So, you know, just, it seemed like before I e-scouted it again, that I knew this area, like the back of my hand wasn't something I needed to look at maps because I've been there. Um, but after figuring that out, what I learned hunting at that season was I was way more efficient and effective in the field. Like I knew where I was going to go. I knew the path I was going to hike. I knew where I was going to glass. Now, of course I'd get to like a glassing point where I'd marked on my phone and been like, ah, I can't really, I don't love how it looks in person. Right. But then you go another 20 yards and you're like, Oh, it really opened up on this side of this, you know, yeah. cluster of trees, sit down, move that glassing point. And so like, I was so much more efficient. And when that plan wouldn't work, I'd be like, sweet. I know exactly what I'm going to do after this. Cause I e-scouted it. So even areas that you know really well, if you if you take the time in e-scout, like I guarantee it's going to change the way you hunt it. Yeah, and that's one thing, man, that like and I'm a big I'm a big preacher of like so some guys fall into the rut of like oh man, even if it is your back 40. Oh, I've hunted this for 20 years, man, and there's no need to scout like you don't know what's changed. Like unless you get boots on the ground and go out and look you don't know what's changed. And so now, you know, I'm kind of switching. Like I said, you'll cover Western, I'll cover Whitetail. But, like, man, you got to go out and get boots on the ground on these properties. You have to. Because, you know, there just last year I was hunting a pinch point. And for the last however many years, this has been the perfect pinch point, dude. Uh, a, a cliff comes right up against a river. So if you hang a tree stand on top of the cliff, they're, they're pinching between the river and the cliff. Like, it's a perfect pinch point to hunt. Well, a tree fell down like 300 yards up the cliff. So deer couldn't get through there anymore. So had I just walked in and said, man, dude, I'm ready to go hunt, you know, the cliff stand and sat there and hunted, I would have never seen deer because they were completely blocked from, from using that transition now. So you never know what's going to change on your property. You never know 
you know, that a creek, you know, now has a new washout and is going a different direction now. I mean, you, you just never know those types of things. You have to constantly be looking at the ground. How have things changed? What has been added? What's been taken away? You know, my grandparents' place a few years ago, it's like, oh, crap. The neighbor tore down 12 acres of, of woods to build a new barn. And, you know, i got to hunt this completely different now because – the deer are going to be coming and using that piece to get to our piece completely different. So you've got to look at those types of things and uh, and and understand what can cause deer to change and adapt along with them. Now, what are you? Um, what kind of? So you pull up on X. You're going on on a mule deer, elk hunt, whatever. You pull up on X. What kind of terrain features are you looking for? I mean, I know you mentioned ridge lines, but you know, say this isn't the spot that you've hunted since you were a kid and this is a new spot. You don't know where you're going. You got to e-scout it to get ready. What kind of terrain features are you looking for to find the elk? Yeah, it's, that's the, the question. I mean, we get it all the time and we, we do a lot of e-scouting content videos and stuff. And it's always the question, what are you looking for? And it's a tough one to answer. It's kind of the same as the the statement we had in the beginning with bears, you've got to get out there and see bears to be able to judge bears. Um, and that's, you know, where does it, does the cart or the horse come first? Like you got to get out there and do it. So me having like had some success in the elk woods, like I know generally what looks like elky terrain. So then I can look for that on the map. Right. You know, like it, it's one of those things it's tough to describe, but if you're out there and you find elk, you're like, oh, there was elk in this area. Well, look at the map. What does that look like? I don't care if you go to Colorado, try and find something similar, like rolling rolling mountains, meadows. Like, you know, people have this idea in their mind of what elk country looks like. Sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's not. But, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm e-scouting like a complete brand new unit, it sounds basic, but really like it comes down to elk need food, cover, water. Like they need, you know, they're going to get away from pressure. But also people overlook that. People, I think, are like, oh, I'll start hunting elk when I'm three or four miles in. Because certainly there's not going to be a bunch of bulls hanging out right by a trailhead. That's not really true. Like, I've been late to a trailhead before and had bulls. You know, there's a whole lot of uh, vehicle activity there. People are probably miles down the trail thinking they had to get ahead of it. And there's two bulls bugling their heads off, you know, 75 yards from the trailhead. So, um, sometimes those overlooked spots, you know, like check them out, but you know, food, water cover, um, there's gotta be water in the area somewhere. Like elk will travel pretty far to go water and come back. It's crazy what they'll do. I mean, they'll drop, you know, thousands of feet in elevation, hit water. If there's better feed down there in the evenings and then climb thousands of, you know, two, 3000 feet again to go bed. It's pretty crazy when you watch them do it. It's like, you know, there's got to be more effective ways of doing it, but apparently like dropping that elevation and hitting that alfalfa field or hay field or whatever feed down there is like worth their time. Otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. Um, so again, like there's, there's a lot of things, food, water cover, um, and being in elk country and like understanding, having had some success in finding elk and emulating that is, is really what I go to. Your brain takes more mental notes than you give it credit for. And, and what I mean by that is like, you know, there's times where you're sitting there and you're like, dude, it's about to happen. Like, 
I don't know why, but like it, they're coming. Like it's it's here, and it's because over the past fifteen years of elk hunting or deer hunting or whatever, your brain has been taking mental notes of what was going on or what it felt like or what it looked like when it did happen, you know. And so, when you roll up into that place where it's like, man, this just looks really good. It's because your brain has been telling you all these times, you, like you've been taking mental data of, as far as, you know, oh, crud, a bean field meets a, a river here. Like, and you've been taking those types of things into into your mind. So then when you get to it, it's like, this just seems right. I don't know why. Well, it's because over the 15 years of doing it, you've just started building that repertoire and figuring out like, this is the stuff that deer like. They like all these dropping acorns that I just walked into. They like when all these persimmons are dropping. They like, you know, I mean, that's the type of thing that your brain is making mental note of. And like, so don't ever overthink it either. Like, you know, last year I roll up into Idaho and, and we're chasing bears and we just passed this spot. I'm like, hold on that there's bears in there. Like that just looks, that's it, you know? And so we get out and sure enough, we find bears. Like, so sometimes we way overthink what we're, what we're doing, but just let your gut tell you those things. Like let your mind recall all the times you've seen bears and what they were doing and where they were at. And then when it goes, Hey, that's where the bears are. Get out and go look like don't well on the map, dude, it looks like up here is better, man. Your gut just told you, there's bears out there. Get out and go check it out, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And as far as like the, the e-scouting stuff goes, like we just did a really good extensive course with, uh, with Cody Rich. He did a course for us that's live on YouTube free for anybody to find. And it's really e-scouting for elk specifically. But I mean, any Western big game, you know, it, it's going to give a lot of really good tips for you can, you can take what he's saying for elk specifically and just, uh, tweak it slightly for deer, antelope, whatever. Um, but I would urge people to to check that out as far as like how to to go about start to finish. Okay, like brand new spot. I've never hunted elk before. What am I looking for? What am I doing? Um, you know, it's a hour and a half, two hour long course with four videos. Like there's a lot of really good knowledge in there. I'd, I would definitely tell people to go check it out. Where, uh, what's it called? I'm on, I'm on your YouTube channel now. So, yeah, I mean, it would be under just recently uploaded probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's a four part series. Um, there's an introduction and then four videos. Um, and it's not just like it is e-scouting, but it's also Cody goes into how to build like a hunt package. So like that and what he's looking for. So a lot of it is map related, but it's really start to finish. Like, Hey, I want to go hunt elk where do I start? What do I do? Um, so from like, you have a tag, you need a spot, you know, again, a lot of it's going to focus on the maps and the tools that we have to be most effective with e-scouting. But a lot of it's just like talking about what you're looking for. Like what, what do you do? Yeah, for sure, man. No. Uh, so everybody, if you just go to the Onyx channel and, and go to, scroll down like three rows you're gonna find that and so that's definitely something you should you should start looking into um i'm looking at your now now i'm just going through videos you need to find somebody better than the hunting public to do that um i'm just 
You got to give them a hard time anytime yeah. you can, for sure. Oh yeah, yep, good dudes. No, uh, and that's why going back to my going back to my first point, guys. This is why I love Onyx. Like, it's so much more than just a digital map that that helps you hunt. I like people who are going to give me information to make me better. So. You know, I like shopping at, at Lancaster because they give me information that I need year round. And so then when it's time to buy something, I want to shop from who's giving me information. So I like people who are informative. I like Joel Turner. I like Tom Clum. I like I like people who give me information who are knowledgeable and resourceful and and help me. So guys, definitely one hundred percent check out Onyx's YouTube uh for that not only that series but uh the video that was put out with the hunting public was how to find new hunting ground for whitetails um everybody needs new hunting ground for whitetails so check it out but um what is your i ask everybody for a hunting 101 field note in other words just a quick tip or trick that i can put in my back pocket and make myself a better hunter with what do you got for us yeah um throw me on the spot there there's there's a few that I could probably go with, but one, I mean, obviously I work at Onyx. I'm going to do something mapping related. One thing that people constantly, constantly overlook, well, two things. The first one's so simple. I'm not going to make this my, my tip, but save your maps for offline use. Like even if you have cell service, make sure you're saving those maps for offline use. The most common still to this day uh, issue that we have that customers have is they're like, I forgot to save a map. So Number one, like, again, that's not like a revolutionary thing, but just make sure you're saving those maps and downloading them. So when you don't have self service, you can still use your maps. Uh, but the thing I would say is like, especially out West far too often, like, let's just say we've been talking bear hunting. So I'll use that as an example, but this is literally anything. Maybe you've been up bear hunting and sitting there for four hours in the same spot classing. You had that, uh, the idea, like there's gotta be bears in this drainage. They gotta come out and feed at some point. I'm going to see them. You've been up there glassing four hours. Your eyes are tired from looking. You finally spot that bear and you're like, heck yes, there it is. Let's go grab your pack, grab your bow, grab your rifle, whatever you're hunting with and, and start getting after it, trying to, to put a stock. The, the most common thing that I see, and again, this is with mule deer, elk, anything, but especially spot and stock is you finally find what you're looking for and you're like, yep, let's go get after it. You get halfway over there and you're like, I don't know if I'm 50 yards away from where that bear was or 500, like everything looks different. You know, you, you have no idea where you're at. So like from a mapping tip that I think is really worthwhile is if, and when you do see that bear or again, bedded elk, bedded mule deer, antelope, whatever it is, take, it doesn't take more than two minutes, but take two minutes collect your thoughts, analyze the situation. Is that bear cruising? Like there's been times where, you know, this happened this spring. I saw a bear that was just like, it was a boar clearly cruising country looking for a hot south. And like, by the time we get over there, that bear could be two miles away, man. Like he's not hanging out eating. Like he is cruising. His head is down. Like he is just moving. There's no sense going over there unless we see him hanging out in that, in that area. So analyze it for that. Like, what is that animal doing? Does it make sense to go over there and stock it? Um, but more importantly, like pull out your phone. If you're with a buddy, have them pull out theirs too and do the same exercise and then compare notes like, okay, I'm going to range it. Maybe it's like 750 yards. So I'm looking on my map. I'm using like the distance tool to say like, okay, there's 750 yards on my map. It's got to be that, that first. So there's like two finger ridges. 
It's on the second one. So I find that on my map and really pinpoint exactly where that animal is and mark that waypoint before you lose elevation, before you lose visual sight of that animal. Because again, far too often you'll get over there and be like, everything looks way different. I have no idea where this animal is and I'm only going to screw stuff up at this point. Um, So mark that location, double verify it again, range it, check the range from the waypoint to yourself, make sure that makes sense, uh, computes out. And then also if your hunting buddy does the same thing, compare notes, be like, hey, here's exactly where I think that bull bugle from, or here's exactly where I think that that bear is. And you look at them and you'll either say, yep, that checks out. You thought the same thing. Like we might be five, 10 yards off, whatever. Or like, if you're like a ridge off, then you need to sit and have that conversation be like, why are we off here? Who's right before we go? Because it's, uh, even if it takes 10 minutes, like that 10 minutes is going to be invaluable by the time you go over there, you're, you know, saving a ton of time, energy, and just being way more efficient. Yeah, for sure. And that's something that like, you know, so many people just automatically assume or rush into it and, and start going. Then they're like, where are the bear? Where's the bear at? Dude, it was gone 400 yards ago. Like when you started walking, it was already gone, you know? Um, and that's something, dude, I had to learn the hard way, you know, cause the first couple of times you're gung ho and every animal you see, you're like, let's chase after it. But if you just slow down and give yourself time, you know, now I want to ask you this too. For that guy who's headed out west, and this kind of goes in line with your tip, if you range an animal and it says 750 yards, that does not mean it's a 750-yard walk for you to get there. You know, uh, there's no. been times I've ranged an, a bear, and it's like it's 750 yards, and it takes you two and a half miles to get there. Like, So is there a way, do you utilize any kind of tools to figure out, okay, how long is it actually going to take me distance wise and time wise to walk to the point I want to get to? Not necessarily. I mean, I will use the map as a judge as an estimate. Um, but yeah, to that point, my biggest bear that I killed, like we spotted that bear and I think it was like a mile away. Like it was like a mile as a crow flies and the track, like it took us like five hours to get over to where that bear was. Luckily it was early in the spring. He wasn't moving much. Um, but like we were in it, like, I can't remember exactly like five miles, I think, because like you can, yeah, you can drop down 2000 feet, climb 2000 feet, drop a thousand, climb a thousand, do that over and over. And you're going to be burnt out. Or like we found an old logging road. So we stayed at contour on the same elevation, but then you ended up doing this in and out of finger ridges. So like, you know, it was a mile to the bear, but it was like something around five miles of hiking before we even got to the bear. So, I mean, I will constantly, I'll look at the map and I will analyze it, but I'm not really pulling out tools and like saying, oh, it's exactly going to take us two and a half hours to get there. I'm looking at, okay, how much elevation are we going to drop? How much are we going to gain? What contour, like, are we going to have to do that where we're going in and out of ridges or are we just going straight at that animal? Um, And kind of just come up with like a, a good estimated guess. Now you can track yourself. So like once you start, you, you know, hit that tracker and then you can periodically check it and be like, okay, we've been hiking for 45 minutes here on the map is exactly where we started. Here's where we're at. Here's that waypoint to that animal. And then it gives you a really good understanding of like, okay, we're about halfway there. So like 
another 45 minutes or, you know, you, you don't have to wait till you're halfway there to do it. Check it 20 minutes in or 10 minutes into your hike and say like, okay, we've traveled, I don't know, half a mile in, in this amount of time, or, you know, even 400 yards in this amount of time, like there might be a bunch of, uh, blowdown and elevation change that you're, you're doing and, and really just use that to be like, man, this is going to take us a long time to get over there or yeah, another 15 minutes, we should be ready to, to find that animal and set up for a shot. Yeah. Now, do you do a lot of, a lot of whitetail hunting? I mean, have you, have you been whitetail hunting quite a bit? So in Eastern Montana, like Montana in general, you get a deer tag. I can shoot a mule deer or a whitetail. I've shot five or six whitetail bucks, mostly mule deer bucks. Um, Shot a couple whitetails with a bow, several with a rifle. Um, so I, I, it's a mix. Like I'm, I'm hunting deer in Montana. I'm not necessarily hunting whitetail or mule deer. Like, I mean, one of my best whitetail bucks sitting right here, like I was mule deer hunting. It was up above some egg land down on a river, but I was up in the, the hills hunting mule deer and that whitetail came strolling up through the draw. So like I have hunted whitetail for sure, but I'm not like hanging tree stands, setting trail cameras that, you know, that type of whitetail hunting. You're not a Midwest whitetail hunter. <laughs> no, I ask no. because there are things that I utilize Onyx for, you know, kind of in the same sense. Um, you know, you look at a piece of ground in Kansas and you're like, dude, you walk 400 yards to your tree stand. Like, so what? And I'm like, you're right. But leading up to the to, to season, what I want to do is is know where I want to park and know where the tree stand is. And I want to walk the quietest route that I can find. And I want to mark that. I want to make a path on the Onyx app, the quietest path to get in and out of that tree stand. Because what happens is at 4 a.m. in the morning when it's pitch black, you know, there's places where if you're 10 yards off, all of a sudden you got to climb a tree to get across, you know, to get to it. Or you got to go through a sandy bank and you're going to make a lot of noise. So in the pitch black, if, if it's, you know, pitch black and you miss that trail by, you know, five yards, even you can turn out to make a whole lot of noise. So by walking the trail that you're going to be using to go in and out of your tree stand from then in the morning, you can know, you can look at your Onyx app and you can walk that trail and know I am on the quietest, most efficient route to get to that tree stand. Um, so that's something that I do leading up to season, uh, with the Onyx app to, to ensure that I'm getting there more effectively and quieter, um, than, than any other way. Um, now is there anything like as far as using digital maps, when you go out and get boots on the ground, what does what you find and what you see, how does that correlate with what's on your map? If, and what I mean by that is, what are you wanting to mark to say, this is what I see. This is what I found. You know, of course, for whitetail guys, it's okay. I found a bed here. I found uh, a scrape here. I found, you know, you want to mark those things. So as far as, as Western hunting, you go out and get boots on the ground. What all are you wanting to mark? That way you remember and can go right back to that point. For sure. A lot of it for me is good glassing points. Um, so like if I am hiking a ridge system, and I find a really good glassing point where I can like cover a lot of country with my eyes instead of needing to hike three or four more miles. Like I will for sure mark good glassing points. So 
you know, just like you want to be in your tree stand, like navigate there in the dark. Like a lot of times, like, you know, you might, obviously you've got a headlamp or whatever you need to get in there, but you can also follow a track on your phone that you did ahead of time in the dark or share that with somebody who's never been there. Um, I'm marking glassing points cause I might want to yeah. be at that glassing point 10 minutes before it is light. Um, so I know exactly where I'm going. I'm not like sitting there in the dark, like, man, is this it? Or is it another hundred yards down this ridge? I didn't mark it. So I'm marking good glassing points. I'm marking, I'm still marking like water, um, good water sources, not necessarily to hunt those water sources, like to sit on them per se, but like, okay, if there's, if I know where, okay, there's a pond over here that I've marked, there's a cattle stock tank over here that I've marked, and there's maybe a, a creek over here. Like if I glass up a bull midday and he's by himself and he's covering country, I will immediately pull up my phone and be like, where could he be heading right now? It's middle of the day. His cows are bedded. He is heading in this direction. There is a, a pond down there about a mile ahead of him. Like if I have that stuff marked, then I go, I bet he's going to water. He, you know, is laying down with his cows. He knows where his cows are. He felt safe to get up. He's going to go water, come right back to his cows. Maybe I can't get in front of him to cut him off, but I will sit there find high ground, make sure he's still going to that pond and be in a spot to transition or, or ambush him on the way in between. So it's like, I know where he came from. If he's a herd bull, I guarantee he's got cows over there. If it's the right time of year, I know where he's going. How now, where can I put myself on his way back to get the wind right and, and have him come within shooting range. So, you know, if you mark those things ahead of time, like you can utilize them. Otherwise I'm like, man, I don't know where that bull's going. Like there's no, I don't know if there's water over there. I don't know what's going on. So I'm still uh, marking good water, good food, um, all things of that nature. But again, a lot of it's like glassing points and in my own track in and out of areas. So in the dark, I can just follow a track. I'm not wondering, Hey, if I keep going on this path, is that correct? Or, you know, where I need to go. Yeah. And that, um, you know, I once told a guy to mark his his glassing points before he went. And he's like, yeah, I've got three marked, three really good ones. I'm like, no, you need 20. You need 15. You need. And he's like, no, dude, these are three really good glassing points. They look like really good glassing points. And I'm like, okay. Well, sure enough, you know, he gets to the first one. He's like, ah, this isn't what I thought it was. Got to move on. Gets to the second one. This is decent. Glasses for a while. Gets to third. He's done with all three glassing points on day one of a 10-day hunt. So you can never have too many glassing points pinned down and marked down to where you think, you know, man, this is really going to give me an advantage to see a whole lot of ground and cover a lot with, um, you know, my spotter or whatever. Uh, so have as many glassing points as you can marked down and pinned down. Um, that way, when you get there, it's not like, okay, well, I burned through all of my good idea for glassing points in, you know, the first day. So, uh, you can never yep. have too many of those. Same with whitetail hunting. You can never have too many observation stands. Uh, you know, people think like, well, I have to be in and amongst the deer to kill them. You're right. But if you pull out and sit on top of a grain silo for two days and see where all they're coming from and where all they're going to, dude, it will change the success of your season in a, in a hurry. Um, but a lot of times people don't want to burn a hunting day and you know, I get that it's hard to do sometimes, but those pulling out and observation sets, consider it like glassing for elk hunting. 
do I immediately jump in there and go chase the deer? No. But the next day I know where they're coming from and I know where they're going. I can sneak in and, and hang a tree stand or climb up with a saddle, whatever. And, and, and I become a whole lot more successful. So, um, there are, there's a lot of crossover that a lot of guys don't utilize. You know, they think it's two complete different games. There's a lot of crossover. And if we would learn to utilize all of the tools in our bag, we'd be a lot more successful. For sure. I'm very picky about the nonprofits that I will support. Um, I look into them a lot. I don't just jump in and support anybody that says we're a nonprofit. Um, I met a, a friend of mine. His name is Jim Mesh, and he runs a memorial fund, a scholarship in his brother's name, the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship. And what they do, they have a passion for getting kids involved in outdoors. So they host these events around the country uh, to get kids introduced to hunting, but also to raise money for their scholarship fund, which is the John V. Mesh Scholarship. And what that is, is that's a scholarship that if any student is going into a field of conservation study, they can apply for this this scholarship. And it's a substantial scholarship. That's another thing. If, if, if they say we're a nonprofit, we do all this, and then they give you know, a $1,000 scholarship, then you're like, well, where does the rest of the money go? But they give a very substantial, substantial scholarship uh, to a student every year looking to go into a conservation field of study. So guys, maybe you are a student and you're studying some, some field of conservation, I would encourage you to apply for the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship. But also, I would encourage you, everybody, to support this nonprofit scholarship fund, uh, whether it's through a one-time donation, a monthly donation, or attending one of their events, uh, or, or buying one of the things they have on auction uh, at these events. Support a company that's supporting our rights as hunters by furthering our conservation efforts by supporting students who are going into a conservation field of study. Guys, go check out the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship at johnvmesh.org. Dylan, man, thank you so much for coming on. I greatly appreciate it. Guys, if you've bought a bow in the past or if you're looking at buying a new bow, any bow that you buy from Bear Archery is going to get you that free three-month subscription to Onyx. So make sure and check out... Um, the Onyx subscription. If you just bought a bow, go register that and get it. Uh, it's completely free and you're going to fall in love with it. I promise guys. Thank you so much for listening. You guys have a fantastic week.